Welcome to the Freedom Story Project podcast, sponsored by John Brown Lives in North Alba, New York. Freedom Story Project is a national Our Story Bridge project that collects and shares personal narratives recounting the activism and engagement of everyday people working for justice and for human rights, not only here at home, but around the world. Freedom Story Project is made possible by a 2022 AARP Community Challenge Grant. In our first episode, you will hear stories centering on music and activism, and the way these two endeavors can become indivisibly merged when guided by the desire to create impact and make change. Our first story comes from musician and activist Tom Morello, best known for his role as guitarist for the American rock band Rage Against the Machine. Morello studied both history and political science and has used music to bring his identities as an artist and activist together to invoke change. In his story, Morello discusses John Brown's legacy and aspires for a greater focus to shine on John Brown and his unbending approach to striking down white supremacy. Here he is with his story, John Brown, an Uncompromising Liberator. When I was 13 years old, there was a noose in my family's garage. I literally integrated the town of Libertyville, Illinois, with my white mom and myself. Uh, For years, I was terrified uh, of just going home, going to bed at night. Um, I was a pat, my home was a pacifist home. It was an MLK home. It was a Gandhi home. Uh, when I was in college, I was relating the story about the noose in the garage, and a friend of mine who had a different perspective um, said, if the Klan were coming up your driveway, would you rather turn the other cheek? Would you rather me and my friends were in the bushes with baseball bats? That is a question that I've turned over and over throughout my adult life and my professional life and my artistic life. Um, I've landed on the fact that I wouldn't mind if John Brown and his friends were in the bushes on that night when I was 13 years old. Uh, To John Brown and his family and uh, all those who fought uh, for the liberation of humankind and for equality for all people, I would say thank you for your service. Uh, I dabbled in liberation theology. I was raised Catholic and the impulse of helping those in need of helping that we are all one human family that deserves uh, a just and dignified existence is one that I've always felt in my core. Um, And my mom, a white lady in in an all white conservative town was the John Brown in my life. And she fought ferociously, not just for me, but for African-Americans and Caprini Green, for Cesar Chavez and the great boycott. And so there was an example in my home. Before I knew the name John Brown, I knew that spirit of that kind of like heartland, militaristic standing up for people who look different from you, who you don't exercise your privilege, but instead you submerge, you inoculate yourself into the masses and those who are most in need of being supported and struggled for uncompromisingly. And uncompromising is what it's all about when it comes to John Brown. Um, that that the, the, the liberate, he be, firmly believed, as I do, that the liberation of humanity is not going to be decided in the courts. And it's not going to be decided, you know, in, in Congress. It's not going to be decided on news services. It's going to be decided by the actions of people. And to have that firm conviction that slavery must not stand, inequality must not stand, and that there's no half measures that are going to be okay. And by by being an example of a white male who can have anything you want in America and using the anything you want to procure arms and influence and access to demand that slavery end and it end now is something that is truly heroic. And so I thank him for his service, him and all of his followers for service, who gave their lives in the cause of liberation for 
not just African Americans, but for 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 humankind. Um, the legacy of John Brown, I think, is one that is is underserved. But I see it. I see his DNA from his from the day of his from Harper's Ferry to today and into the future. Uh, it is white people in America who are not bystanders and who are not allies, but who are homies who are down for the cause and in an uncompromising way are going to stand shoulder to shoulder until the battle is won. Some of those friends are here today. We're at John Brown's farm right now. Some of my friends from the former Weather Underground, my mom, Mary Morello, musicians from, you know, Woody Guthrie to Bruce Springsteen, to people like that who, who are, who have uh, uh, turned away from the privilege that is granted them by the cornerstone of white supremacy in the United States of America and have sided themselves with humanity and recognized themselves as part of a, a greater cause to uplift humanity. Um, you know, from in my own music, John, like as, as an African, as someone who identifies as African-American, John Brown is like, he is greatly admired, but underappreciated among my peers in music and among sort of African-Americans today. And I think that the work that you're doing here is one that um, is very, very important in shining that spotlight, not just the spotlight, but sort of like the bat signal in the sky for all people who in their heart believe, and there are millions that believe that the world does something wrong things aren't right. White supremacy is wrong. We are in an unjust world. And what do you do about it? And you don't compromise about it. And that is the message of John Brown. And that is why in my music, I've always endeavored to not compromise. And I'm not compromising in this interview. And God bless you all. John Brown, thank you very much. John Brown lives now and forever. Our next story continues to touch upon the intersection between art and activism. Mark Emanation, a labor activist and musician, has for years been actively engaging in anti-racist and pro-equity work in an effort to build stronger communities through sharing common threads. He challenges people to be thoughtful and earnest with the art that they create and to strive to construct a just and dignified existence for all. Here's Mark in his own words with the story, my activism saved my life. My name is Mark Emanation, and my life has been full of activism. Today, I live in Troy, New York, and I work as a labor organizer. I got involved in activism in the anti-war movement against the war in Vietnam in the 1970s. I was 12 years old. I was delivering newspapers, and someone asked me to put an anti-war flyer in the newspaper and then asked me to go to the demonstration, and my sister and I did. We had uncles and cousins in Vietnam, and we wanted them to come home. And I had a rough and tumble upbringing with a tough home life. Um, the 60s and 70s were tough on kids, and I could have easily gotten into a lot of trouble. And um, activism put me in touch with a group of very positive people that were trying to change the world. And in many ways, activism saved my life and put me on a good path forward. Uh, I've lived in Minneapolis, Philadelphia, Louisville, Kentucky, Boston, Massachusetts, and in the Capital District, and I've done political activism all over the place. Anti-racist work, union work, anti-apartheid work. One of the best things I was involved in was in Louisville, Kentucky, where we worked for two years to get the state of Kentucky, the city of Louisville, and the University of Louisville to divest from South Africa during apartheid. And it was just such great work, um, and we were so proud of ourselves when what we got that done. Um, and later on, I moved to Boston and got to welcome Nelson Mandela to the United States when he came to Boston. 
what I do right now is, uh, in the last couple of years, is work to um, help feed people um, that desperately needed food when the pandemic happened. The food pantries all sort of shut down when the pandemic happened for safety's sake. So I helped put together a coalition with the Regional Food Bank and Catholic Charities and other churches and unions and retired people to uh, feed folks in the drive-up food pantries. And in the last two years, we've distributed over 8 million pounds of food to over 800,000 families. I'm also a musician, and I uh, view my music and my activism sort of in the same exact way. Um, I work hard to build community. I don't consider the activism I do as charity, but to try to build a community of souls to make the world a better place. And the same thing with the music. When you go out on a Saturday night and people have worked hard all week and you come together and there's no separation between the band and the audience, you're just a group of people trying to have a better um, experience in life. I have uh, three children and three grandchildren. And I view the work I do as a way to help my family. But I view my definition of family in a much broader than the folks I just have blood that I share blood with. I view it as the larger human family. And I think that the important thing for young people that might be listening to this is this life, if you can, if you find people that are trying to make a better world, as long as you have um, organizing you have humanity, and as long as you have humanity, you have hope, and we can still win a better world by working together. Don't give up, and that's what I've learned throughout my whole life. I've met so many good people um, that have not given up and have given me courage to stop, uh, to keep going forward and not be discouraged and keep going forward. So for young people that might be listening, this is a good life. You should do it. Next up is a story from Torrington, Connecticut, the birthplace of John Brown. Dan Morrison, working with the organization Culture for a Cause, builds music and community through the arts. He recorded musical groups with diverse styles playing the Civil War anthem, John Brown's Body. In this story, Dan discusses the history of the song, the music created, and the great musical debt the world owes to African music. Here's his story, John Brown's Passion for Equality. A musical project. My name is Dan Morrison, and I'm going to talk about a community arts project that celebrates John Brown's passion for equality. I live in Torrington, Connecticut, which is the birthplace of John Brown, the abolitionist. Uh, there are a lot of John Brown references in our city. You know, the homestead is located just out of town. An illustration of his house is on all of our recycle bins. It's part of the town seal. There's huge murals um, from the WPA project hanging in our post office, uh, pictures of John Brown and his family on the homestead here in Torrington. There are even um, collections of John Brown artifacts in the public library and the historical society, both of which contain a piece of the rope that was used to hang the old man. I work with a nonprofit here called Culture for a Cause, whose mission is to build community through music and the arts. And when we were disrupted by COVID, we were looking for ways to 
you know, still be relevant and decided to launch a community arts project um, where we would do a 21st century remix of the Civil War song, John Brown's Body, which was uh, written by Union soldiers and was an incredibly popular song uh, during the early part of the Civil War. We decided to do this because as a country, we were in the middle of probably the biggest civil rights movement ever. We felt that it was important to stand up and say out loud that people are welcome and wanted and that they deserve respect and dignity for the simple fact that they exist. We wanted to amplify John Brown's passion through a song that was based in equality. So we started recruiting local musicians to record this song in a recording studio right downtown called Red Room Sound Studio. The live room is huge. It's like 60 by 60 with a 20-foot ceiling. So you know, plenty of room for social distancing, but also a great room to record a huge ensemble uh, like the Torrington High School marching band who were the first musicians to climb the stairs up to the studio and also a children's choir called Chorus Angelicus, uh, internationally acclaimed group of singers. Because it was a Civil War song, we thought we would cover musical styles from the Civil War to hip hop in this song. So that's how we teamed the children's choir with the high school band. We got some young men to sing the part of the singing soldiers. An interesting part came next. I, I wanted to include old-time banjo because that was, uh, it's often attributed as being, you know, the first American, solely American instrument, but really banjos were brought over in the mines of African people who were separated from their families and enslaved in the Americas. They played similar instruments in uh, West Africa that were made out of gourds and sticks and strings. And when they found themselves here, they started making banjos, and that really changed the face of American music right off the bat. When I was talking to the clawhammer banjo player, he told me he didn't want to play a Civil War style. That style was mostly minstrel shows, which was based, you know, really based in, in racism. So he played a pre-Civil War style, which may have been heard, uh, you know, by African people playing on plantations. Uh, so we moved our focus from Civil War to hip hop to 1619 to hip hop. When we did that, we decided to add the djembe, which is an African drum, um, and had a local African drummer come into the studio and play. We wove the music together by telling the story of the music, how it evolved from African drumming uh, to banjo, to blues, to jazz, boogie-woogie, rock and roll, and most recently, hip-hop. You know, all of those forms of music, which became incredibly popular in this country, came from black musicians. And America and the world owe a huge debt to black artists. Um, they're pretty much always right when they start making art. And the kids went wild over all of those music styles and parents were scared to death and it turns out the kids were always right too and the parents were always wrong. At least about music. So we recorded all of the parts individually and then stuck them all together in a studio and they fit together beautifully. 
you know, into a wonderful sonic exploration of American music. I think the project is important because it tells people that they are safe in this community and that people are people. We're all different, and in that way, we're all the same. Finally, we hear from activists Greg Artsner and Terry Leonino, known as the musical duo Magpie. In this story, they trace how they've used their music and research to educate students on the history of abolitionist figures such as Harriet Tubman and John Brown in both musical and play formats. The duo also previews one of their songs. Here's Magpie with their story, Meeting John and Mary Brown, Abolitionists. Hi, I'm Terry Leonino. And I'm Greg Artsner. And uh, we are musicians. Uh, for nearly 50 years, we've been activist musicians, songwriters, playwrights, actors, and screenwriters. We, bo- uh, we both grew up in Ohio, um, in JB country. That's John Brown. And uh, we've worked for many years for Harpers Ferry National Park. So uh, we were obviously very fascinated by the story of John Brown and his associates. Uh, and over the years, we played at Harper's Ferry National Historical Park many times. Uh, uh, members of the staff there uh, became very, very good friends of ours, and they booked us year after year after year to come for special events, Earth Day, Fourth of July, all those kinds of things. And so, of course, naturally, you go to a place like that, and that story of John Brown is just paramount there. Um, Everything points to John Brown. So we got really interested in the story of John Brown, and like most people in this country, we really didn't know that much about it, but we found out a lot as we went along. And we became inspired by reading some of the stuff that had been suggested by the staff there, and we decided to write a stage play, a two-hander stage play, uh, wherein I would portray John Brown and Terry would portray Mary Brown. And we found the letters that John Brown had written to Mary. We spent a lot of time doing that, going all over the country. This is pre-computerized. And we went to libraries and um, very rare letters and books libraries to find all the letters that John and Mary wrote to each other. And we had to go to Columbia University in New York and then find the letters of Mary Brown. That's where most of hers were. Couldn't and, leave the women out. You know, and what we needed, what we wanted to do was to have a play that was actually a conversation between them based on the letters that they had written to each other. So we wrote this play. And then year 2000, Harper's Ferry, of course, was having a great big 200th birthday celebration for John Brown. And they invited us to come and do the play. But they also, they told us, hey, we really want you guys to do some concerts, too. So we said, oh, okay, we better get some songs together. We had a few, but... Ah, then we had all these other stories that, uh, you know, the stories of the other people who were associated with John Brown, in particular, the five black members of his Harper's Ferry Company. So we decided to start writing some songs, and we ended up with um, an 11 song song cycle, which we recorded and which was also ready for uh, release there at the beginning of May that year. Some of those songs were actually based on the actual letters 
that um, people like John Copeland wrote a couple days before he was hung. Um, and our park ranger friends, Todd Bolton and a bunch of other friends there, helped us uh, locate those letters so that we could um, base our songs on the actual words of these important people in our history. So we wrote the songs, we recorded the CD, and then we started doing the play, traveling around the country uh, in various different places, trying to get to as many of the places in John Brown's story as we possibly could. We did it in New England, we did it in Ohio, we did it out in Michigan, we did it in... Uh, the Smithsonian actually sent us to Lafayette, uh, Louisiana, to do it right after the Genesis 6 incident there. So we, we traveled all over doing the play. Then in 2009... It was the 150th anniversary of the raid on Harper's Ferry in October of that year. So we did the play at Harper's Ferry that year. And then in December of that year, we also did a reenactment of the hanging uh, in Charlestown. And that was an interesting thing. And there's a photograph uh, that you'll see here of uh, me as John Brown riding on the coffin on my way. Which is a true thing that a lot of people don't know, that he actually rode his own coffin. And this was sponsored by the Jefferson County Black Historical Society. So uh, that was in... And Harper's Ferry. So that was in 2009. And ever since then, of course, we've been involved in all kinds of tangential projects, particularly some associated with uh, John Brown Lives, our good friend Martha Swan. And John Brown Lives has really helped us. They facilitated and uh, produced a songwriting residency programs uh, in places all around the country, bringing the history alive for young students. We feel that that's a really, really important part of what we do. And we uh, started a project called Harriet Was Here in My Backyard, and uh, and we've taken it to Canada, Maryland, New York, and we work every year with fourth graders to tell the story of Harriet Tubman's life. So far, we've written 17 songs with students on the story of Harriet Tubman, and that's going to be the part, that's going to be the subject of our next story. For now, we're going to sing one of our favorite freedom songs with our dear friends and neighbors, Kim and Reggie Harris. Oh, listening to our first episode of the Freedom Story Project podcast. If you would like to listen to more stories or want to add your story, visit freedomstoryproject.org. Freedom Story Project is made possible by a 2022 AARP Community Challenge Grant. Freedom Story Project collects and broadcasts three to five minute audio stories and related photographs online, centering around themes of freedom and justice, human and civil rights, activism and engagement, 
at local, national, and international levels. One of our goals is to inspire younger generations to tell their stories and connect to their communities and these issues, including through powerful personal narratives by elders who share their experiences. Freedom Story Project uses the Our Story Bridge methodology, making stories easily accessible and shareable. To learn more about Our Story Bridge, please visit www.ourstorybridge.org. Thank you.